As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. Pure Hoops podcast, Eric Newman in New York, BJ Armstrong in LA. We are recording on Friday, March 27, 2020. Still an uncertain time, but BJ, we are here. We are making the most of it. How are you today, my friend? Oh man, I can't can't complain, and uh, we're just hanging in there, Eric, one day at a time. Uh, but thanks for asking. The Armstrong houses, where you know we're just uh, doing and playing our part. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. There's been a lot of uh, 1991, 92, and 93 versions of you floating around on uh, NBA TV during these uh, hardwood classic games. So hopefully you're. Uh, catching yourself on the big screen from time to time during these uh these Bulls finals replays but it's been uh it's been a strange time for sure um New York is uh as everybody knows um having a tough time right now I'm thankfully healthy and safe and secure and uh aiming to keep it that way but thankful we get to talk some hoops and Get the pod out to the people. You know, BJ, as we continue to uh, to do this show together, we are uh, we're landing some some guests who bring a certain prestige to the table. And uh, today's guest happens to be someone we've both uh, had a positive relationship with for a long time. He, he may say differently, but uh, <laughs> please please to welcome uh, Bleacher Report senior writer. FS1 analyst and host of Buker and Friends podcast, the one, the only, Rick Buker. How are you, my man? I'm good. You know, the way you started that intro, I thought it was going to be, uh, yeah, you know, we've been able to land some very influential and high-profile guests, but every <laughs> once in a while, we got to go to the bottom of the barrel, and we just got to make sure we get. And so here we have. Uh, Rick Baker joining us. There you go. <laughs> we got to go back to the old paper Rolodex, the pre-digital. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So good, good to have so, you on. Uh, good to have you on, my man. Yeah, good to be with you guys. It's too bad that we can't. Obviously, circumstances don't let us do do it in person, but good to be good to be chopping it up with both of you. Yeah, Rick and I go back a a, a long, long way, and I mean a long. We go back a long time, and. Rick, do you? I was just as you were, were talking there. I was just remembering. Remember when I got traded to Golden State, and you and I, you took me out to play pool. I think in San Francisco, and we just uh-huh. chopped it up. Remember that night? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Remember that night? <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that. I also remember like this is where I think BJ and I first connected, and I won't uh, I won't say the name of the beat writer. <laughs> You know where I'm going, right? <laughs> so, uh, ah, so this particular beat writer was, uh, as you know, some some people in the in the uh, in the media business, uh, especially writers, 
uh, aren't necessarily in the most ideal shape. And, <laughs> and so uh, this was this was one of my um, my, my my competitors, and we're sitting there and uh, we're watching the Warriors dance team out there, and <laughs> and I and I want to say. He was eating jelly beans as he said. <laughs> oh God! Stop it! And he he says, "Looks like she missed a few appointments with the stairmaster." <laughs> and I turned and I looked at him and I was like, "Really?" And so <laughs> I shared that with. With BJ, and I think I think for the first time, BJ thought, "Oh, so there's people in the media who look at the media like I look at the media," and I think we bonded over that, over the, oh. the hypocrisy that sometimes occurs. <laughs> that was. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, God. I guess you had well, to be there. It was well, one I can, of the I, can, I can tell this story has had absolutely no staying power with BJ. So uh, yeah. there's only one way to go from here, and that's straight down. Um, <laughs> oh, Puke. Puke. I just had to say this. That was one of the funniest things. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> that was one of the funniest yeah. things to me. And here we are, what, 20-something? I don't know. It's more than that, yeah. like 25 yeah. years later. Has it not of... has, has not lost its punch whatsoever. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I wish I, I only wish that we could give you guys a visual of, of who said it. Because then it would I'm gonna have to... that's what that's what's making BJ laugh right now. Yeah, he's I'm got gonna... the full pack. He's got the full picture. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna have to go to work on, on BJ offline here and at least get some initials. And I could um, every time I would get interviewed, I would see him and I just I would just crack up. <laughs> I just Yeah. Oh all right. So handful you... of jelly beans. So mouth they... full of jelly beans. <laughs> Looks like she missed the stairmaster appointment. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so, Buke, aside from you uh, keeping the old sense of humor sharp, uh, how are things going out there uh, right now in the Bay during this uncertain time? Yeah, it's funny. You know, I, 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 just, um, I was just having a conversation earlier with um, Colin Coward, actually, about, and he asked me the same question. And I've been obviously keeping up to tabs on, like, where this thing is on a global and national level and i'm you know i'm i'm reading the, the the news here or listening to the news here but it, it it dawned on me that i'm not like locally we're we're in shutdown mode um i live in a small town on the coast about 30 minutes from the uh, san francisco airport and uh and we've been following protocol we've been pretty isolated it doesn't mean that we can't get outside and we haven't been doing things but uh i it made me realize that i am not like i'm not following this the, the local statistics on where things are comparative to the rest of the country i think in part because uh trying to stay on top of where the nba is going and 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 still doing my job uh i've been focused on a 
you know, with a with a much um, taking paying more attention to the big picture. Yep. And so, uh, I you know, California in general and the Bay Area in particular have been very aggressive in putting things in place, uh, in re- restrictions in place. And so it, it appears that that is uh, as is working effectively. I don't know if where things are. I mean, obviously there's triage in New York. Uh, right now, uh, w- things have just been extended to May 1st as far as uh, shutdowns here or the, the current protocol being in place. And that's essentially all I know. But uh, at, in being someone who's either on the road or working at home, this hasn't been a huge shift for me as far as uh, how I operate. It's been more like okay, so what are the stories, what are the things that need to be told in this, uh, in this vacuum? Or how, do, how do you still provide and create content covering sports when there are no actual games being played? And, BJ, before you, before you jump in, you know, Rick, that's a great point. I mean, from where you sit right now, how are you approaching that with, with this drastic change of we're leading up to the playoffs and then all of a sudden – the season yeah. is put on a on a hard pause. How are you approaching coming up with that next story, that, doing that next conversation, that next pod, that next uh, appearance, et cetera, et cetera? Well, the first line, I, I think the first line is um, there's there's two parts to that. Is one is sharing the experience of that I think all sports fans are experiencing, which is what do we do and what it's like to be operating without sports and so there's the personal connection on that level but then there's also looking at the nba and sports trying to get back to business and the impact of this which is unprecedented like how do you have what what do you do how, how does it impact the draft how does it impact a preparation for the draft how does it impact players who uh may after a two-month layoff you know, if the NBA gets its wishes, we come back and we play. And uh, and, I, and and fans who believe that, well, you know, you got to – I work out at home all the time and I'm fit, so, you know, why can't NBA players do that and kind of letting people understand what goes into actually being an elite athlete and how much not having the normal facilities and access to – all the things that players have, like how much of an impact that can have, how much that changes. Uh, and, uh, and so looking across the board at how does this unexpected, unanticipated uh, break with an open end, if not knowing how long it's going to go, how does that impact the end and the business of the NBA? If indeed it wants to come back, what are people what are people in the NBA doing now with their time trying to keep the wheels moving? And so that's where I'm looking for stories. Well, Rick, I, I think you, you hit it, you know, right on the head there. What are you hearing in terms of how would they bring it back? Like, do you have any yeah. sense now, time, what this format would look like? Do you have any kind of give us an idea of what you're hearing as I know you're talking to people around the league just as much as I am, but what are you hearing out there? Yeah, it's, it's, there seems to be, 
surprisingly, uh, still a healthy amount of optimism that there is going to be uh, a, a playoff, that, that the season is going to be resumed in some form this summer. The challenge is going to be knowing that it's going to be a couple months here, knowing that players have dispersed, that there's going to be the need for a, a, a runway and a healthy runway to get get guys uh, to, first of all, let them know we're coming back, so start getting ready. This is the date that we're going to bring everybody back together. This is the date that we're going to start trying to play games. And I get the sense that that uh, there's certainly uh, a number of people in the league who are looking at it as an opportunity to experiment with some things that they've been talking about anyway, such as uh, a playoff, uh, a play-in type of format for teams uh, going into the playoffs where you take, whether it's the eight through 11th seeds in the respective conferences and have a, a mini bracket or take six through 10. And that's how you determine who are going to be the two teams in the, uh, in, in the sixth, seventh and, and eighth spot or take, excuse me, seven, seven through 10 and determine how those last two playoff spots are going to be uh, determined. And so that's where, uh, you know, this, this provides that opportunity. You don't necessarily start the regular, finish the regular season, but you have some sort of quick play in and then, uh, and then play, play games in June and July. And if that means backing up the season a little bit uh, next year, then you get a look at what that potentially could look like. And so, uh, I, I just I, I know the power of the NBA and the wherewithal that it has, and I think the value that they see in uh, in, in in coming back and providing people content it would obviously be in a in a very unique set of circumstances. No fans, smaller venues, maybe practice facilities, but what it would do for the relationship with the broadcast partners, and uh, as I see it with with fan you know fans are always looking at players as being coddled and pampered and don't don't always appreciate what it go what goes into being an NBA player and staying an NBA player and if these guys were uh you know let's let's say they have to be quarantined let's say they have to all be isolated together and uh and and we're willing to do that in order to play games again it would be making a sacrifice in order to entertain fans that I believe would create a tremendous amount of goodwill. Now, I don't know if you can get it done. I don't know if everybody would be willing to do it. But if they were, uh, I just see the NBA, you know, once again taking a measure that shows their fans how much they love playing the game and what they're willing to do to to put on a performance for fans. I think the, the goodwill gesture and the, uh, the, the relationship with the broadcast partners, I think there's a monetary and a, just a general goodwill opportunity that would be invaluable for the NBA if they were able to pull it off. So Rick, do you feel more likely than not if the league can resume with whatever the lead up is into a playoff. Do you think more likely than not, we will have playoff games, not in the typical fashion of an arena with fans, but something 
in a more uh, intimate setting, like a practice facility or a scaled yeah. down venue? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, I don't think there's any way that we're going to have fans in the building. And, and I, just from a logistical standpoint, uh, you, you want to have as few people involved in the, I mean, if you have to create a bubble, you want to mm-hmm. figure out what's the, what's the minimum number you need to have inside the bubble to make this function. And if you're doing it in a big arena, uh, it, it just, it creates issues. So, uh, I think you, you know, I think you pull out all stops. I think you like, and again, this is asking for a tremendous amount of trust and sacrifice on the part of everyone, players, etc. And would they be willing to do it? You know, you got to cross, you got to cross that bridge. But if they were, you know, whether it's bringing everybody together, you're talking about essentially in the playoffs, you're talking about 220 players. And um, could you could you bring them together? Could you do this in Las Vegas or some central location mm. where you bring everybody together and you house them together? You know, you get a couple of hotels. You you really kind of um, you tighten the circle. You're playing. I mean, I I kind of see it like if you could do it if you did it in Vegas and you had everybody you know staying in you know one or two hotels that was exclusively for the NBA. And you were using Cox Pavilion and Thomas and Mack, and you you ran games in there. You know, I mean, you could you could do it on your timeline. Um, you, you could run multiple games in the same building. I mean, and and uh, and do it on a on a shorter timeline. Maybe you shorten the series, but I just feel as as if the the power of the NBA and the desire to make this happen. There are enough forces with enough influence. That you could do it if everybody says I'm in, I'll make the sacrifice. Uh, that there's a way to do it and to do it without uh, jeopardizing the health of the public beyond your NBA circle. Well, Rick, being being the athlete that you are, <laughs> <laughs> my 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 in all seriousness, my my question to you would be the following. Yeah. All right, that sounds great. How long would it take for these athletes to get in the type of condition that's necessary to play in these games? Well, that's what's really tricky because I'm saying, like, you need at least a month. You need at least two, I would say, two, two and a half weeks for guys just to try to, to recapture some semblance of their base. And then a week and a half with, like, we can really get into it with, with team practice. And even then, I mean, the, the greatest risk here, as you know, PJ, is we're we're not going. If, if we're we got a two month, two and a half month layoff here, right? It's basically trying to start playoff basketball. It's as if you're playing playoff basketball at the start of the season, right? And 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 the playoffs and what's at stake is going to have guys playing at a at a level at an intensity that you generally need to build up to and so that is that's my biggest concern is that you're going to have some injury it's it, there's no way around it right you're going to have guys who are going to play at a level that they're physically not ready to play at 
because everything's at stake. And, and so that is the part that worries me the most uh, about what the, what the repercussions of this could be. Uh, and then it gets into a rub where, like, if you're a smart agent, player, GM, coach, you know, who has pushback to say, hey, I, I know we want to do this. I know that people would love us doing this. This is putting our guys at risk in a way yes. that may not be the smartest thing to do. And that that where that is indeed where the rub comes in. And I, I don't have an answer for you. I mean, honestly, personally, any guy who would say it's a bad bet, like that's not a good idea for this reason, I I would not be one who would say, oh, hey, suck it up, uh, Buttercup. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not – I wouldn't be that guy, but – there would be plenty of people who would. So when you go down this road, you're opening yourself up to that avenue where guys are going to get shamed into doing something that they know is probably a bad idea. I mean, Buke, you and I, I mean, look, we're, we're not in those meetings, but I would have to believe, Rick, that there has to be some owners who would take that perspective and say, maybe we're better off long-term just – canceling the rest of the season starting fresh in yeah. October, November. I have to believe that that discussion has come up. Are you hearing anything, Rick, definitive or? I have not, but I have not been, uh, I haven't talked directly to any owners in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I've, I've, it's, it's on my, uh, I, I, I intend to, but I have not to this point simply because what we're we're a week or two in, and the stories that I've been focused on have been more on the GM player level of in the moment, like as of right now, what do you do? How do you how do you deal with this sudden interruption? Uh, the the owner conversation is is bigger picture. But I will say, and you know this, BJ, I mean, there may be a couple, but I would dare say there's probably more that are looking at the bottom line and mm -hmm. saying, uh, hey, we like, you know, the TV revenue, if we don't have any more games, what happens to the TV revenue? What happens, like yeah. all of these ancillary things, it's, it's, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that owners have jeopardized the health of their players. <laughs> in, in, with an eye up on the bottom line. And I dare say that this could be, I, I would, I would, if there are conversations, there may be conversations, but I would think that the vast majority of owners are saying, Hey, it's worth the risk. Rick, you also, you hit it on the head with, uh, you know, a quote unquote active goodwill. If uh, mm. we can get, you know, the playoffs, in whatever fashion on television, get fans back engaged who are, I mean, we, we all see it, whether you're on Twitter or in conversations or, 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 or watching, uh, you know, debate shows or whatnot, fans are starving for games and starving for that distraction. And, you know, thinking about players and teams taking a pause, then returning to action. And you, you framed it perfectly. It's like, the season ends and you're it's a two month plus break and then you're back into training camp and there's obviously um, 
no situation that's presented itself like this in the past, but you think about teams whose DNA is written by what they experience and go through during that season and what they take into the playoffs and how they're vibing and how their bodies are feeling and the team chemistry, et cetera, et cetera. We won't have that this year, regardless, regardless right. if it's, if it's back in the beginning of June at the end of July. And I just find that really interesting to think about. And um, I actually, I meant to text you the other day. I was, uh, I was going down one of my Celtics uh, playoff rabbit holes, watching uh, a finals game from 2008 and there your face popped up in, in the first row of the, uh, the TD garden during the Celtics Lakers finals. So with, with all this, um, with all this playoff talk and I mean, it's hard to believe and I don't want to make you guys feel any older than you are, but uh, we're 40 years removed from the beginning of the bird magic era which transformed the whole NBA and has given us so many incredible playoff memories. So it's my long way around of, of prompting you on um, what are some of your favorite playoff memories that you've covered uh, in this industry? Because I saw your face. I saw your face. It's, it's the game yeah. where Paul Pierce goes down. And, uh, yeah. you know, we had Paul yeah. on our, our Showtime All the Smoke show with, with Stack and Barnes, and they were yeah. in tears about the wheelchair incident. And yeah. you're sitting right there. So I'm saying to myself, how many great games has Buke been at in the playoffs? And it's something yeah. uh, we wrote down for today. Yeah, so I, I was thinking – I'm trying to think if it was Michelle Tafoya or, or Doris Burke that I was uh, – I was doing sideline for ESPN Radio. And, uh, and one of those two – I'm trying to remember who it was. I want to say it was Doris. Was she? Could you tell? Could you see who was sitting next to me, courtside? Uh, if I go, screen? if I go back to it, yeah, I know yeah. Michelle. And it, Michelle covered that series because she does the interview with KG at the end of Game Six. Well, so then I'm that's who it was. Then yeah. that's that's who I ran. So so when when that whole thing happened, like we went, uh, we our job is to get back to the locker room and find out like what's what's going on and and literally to follow the wheelchair uh, back to the locker room. <laughs> and, and then, you know, the next thing you know is he, he comes sprinting out of the locker room and you're like, okay, what the hell? <laughs> um, and, uh, and look, I thought it was a great, first of all, I thought it was a great, uh, you know, rallying move and a classic Paul Pierce. It, it's the, it was the ultimate flop is what it was. It was the greatest <laughs> flop in NBA history, without question, because biggest stage, most prolonged, most dramatic. The only thing that would have been better is if they had wheeled him off on a gurney with an ID <laughs> or something attached to him, and he had gone into the locker room and then come sprinting out. So, uh, yeah, that's that's. Uh, I, but I don't know that that's one of my favorite memories. It was like, oh yeah, really? This is where we've taken this thing. It was, it was, uh, it was a little much. I, I don't know. There, there are, man. Uh, Sean well, what, Elliott. What was your hitting, first? Hitting, what was your first finals? My first finals actually was the '93, and maybe still to this day, maybe just because it was, you know, you always remember your first. 
but the the 93 finals between Barkley and Jordan where mm. uh triple overtime in old Chicago stadium and you know Charles with his god wanted us to to god wanted us to win this <laughs> this game and uh and Jordan I like under the 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 veil of the uh the gambling questions and so he wasn't talking to the media and Charles was like Pied Piper and was just regaling the media and those two guys battling and the difference between them as superstars and the difference between their uh the the respective franchises I mean you just couldn't you couldn't have a, a, a bigger difference between whether it was Westfall and Phil Jackson or just like the whole dynamic, the Chicago versus Phoenix, it was just such a for a writer in particular. It was just it was such a a, a a battle of opposites and extremes, and it was also the first time where watching Jordan, Jordan, and I'm sure BJ remembers this. Like Michael decided, okay, you know what, I, I'm. I'm I'm just I'm I'm going to take Dan Marley out of the game. Like mm. and and he's not that's not, I'm going to focus on I defensively I'm just take I'm going to do my usual offensive thing but defensively Dan Marley is not I'm going to completely remove him from the equation. And I and I remember watching and and, and he t- like Marley, I think got like maybe two shots, and they were like forced shots in the first half. He was lucky to touch the ball, and it was the first time where I saw a superstar. This is the distinction: like Magic and Bird would have would figure out how can I influence the game with my greatness. Where is the opening for me in this matchup? to influence the game in the biggest way possible. And with Jordan, it was, he would just decide, this is how I'm going to influence this particular game. Not, not how, what, you know, what's the way that I can, I'm just going to unilaterally decide, this is how I'm going to choke the life out of the opposition. And in this (laughs) case, it was, you know what? I, I think for today, I'm just going to make life miserable for Dan Marley. That's how I've decided that I am going to influence this game. And then he did it. And, and it was, it was just, it, that was where the greatness of Jordan was impressed upon me. And the, and, and the evolution from magic and bird to Michael. And, uh, and, and so, and I learned all of that in that 93 finals. Uh, along with seeing, you know, a, a young chipper BJ Armstrong, uh, <laughs> chipper for the first time, chipper, chipper. And, and with a, with a very cynical approach to, to, to the media, that became very clear right from the very beginning. Like, uh, he's carried that forward very successfully. Uh, oh yeah. Hey, hey, Rick, Rick, you live in the Bay area and mm-hmm. you followed You've covered, you've watched the teams out there in Golden State. And yeah. Golden State has, when I played out there, you know, you begin to realize the history, right? 
You know, you yeah. had the Rick Barry era. You had the yeah. Run TMC era. Then you had the Baron Davis, you know, yep, we believe. era. You know, we we believe. Now you having, you know, the Steph Curry era. Yeah. Out of all of those eras of just moments of time in the Bay Area, you know, clearly we know what this team has done. This this current run that they've on they've gone on. Which which one would you call the funnest? era to cover oh there's no no question it was we believe oh there's really no oh, really there's yeah no question about it because that was a team that was just was not very good and uh at the beginning of the season and uh as a result of the malice in the palace um mully was able to uh, chris mullen was able to do a deal with uh, Donnie Walsh, where they they had to change up, and you brought Stephen Jackson uh, and Al Harrington into a team with Jason Richardson and Baron Davis, and and it was just a collection of characters who <laughs> who who you know as as short of a timeline as they were on, they perfectly fit fit the the Oakland motif of basketball. <laughs> they were very much a street basketball team. And, and it was a perfect team for Nelly to mess with because they were, I mean, Nelly in his way, I mean, you can look at him now. He looks like the Don of Maui, right? Like the, <laughs> the, the all black and the gold chain and the ponytail. I mean, he looks, he looks, he looks like, uh, what's his name? Uh, John Travolta in Pulp Fiction. It looks like he watched that movie one too many times and goes, I want to be that guy. Vincent and, Vega. And so um, I, I just – and then, like, you know, they, 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 they needed this incredible run to make the playoffs, and then they go up against uh, – they go against uh, Dallas that had uh, that had kicked Nelly to the curb, and – he goes up up against Avery Johnson, who came in for uh, Tim Hardaway when Tim Hardaway blew his knee and was part of right. the team with C. Webb that yep. made yep. the playoffs. But like, I mean, there was just so many storylines intertwined. And then they, you know, Dirk is the 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 league MVP, and like you could just you could, I just knew, oh man, these guys, like Stephen Jackson, couldn't wait to guard Dirk Nowitzki. He knew he was going to make life miserable. <laughs> And Nelly knew that Steven Jackson was going to make life miserable. And you just watched all that play off and play out. And then, uh, you know, Baron Davis, the dunk on Andre Kirilenko. And uh, I mean, and, and I think more than anything else was the passion of the Warriors fans. That's really where Oracle yep. got its reputation. Yes, yes, and, yes. And so I, I just it was it was a moment in time. It was, I mean, we're talking about a half a season. That yeah, Rick, the trade the trade happened the, in the January, right? That trade yeah. happened in January yeah. of that season. Happened in, happened in January. They made the playoffs like at the last day or two of the season. Yeah, and and then it was just it was just a, a, an incredible incredible run and uh and so to have that happen and to see the the bay area on fire not to say that it wasn't fun like this last this last run but it it 
like that really captured the imagination of right. the Bay Area, and that was true. And the, like as the Warriors' success went on, you got a lot of Bay Area fans who were casual fans, and right. and so it just it didn't feel as genuine as the we believe was really felt like an inside job. And you, you had a tight circle of people that had suffered and suffered and suffered. And then suddenly you just lit the place on fire and the people that had been there all along, you know, it wasn't the opportunity for the venture capitalists to come in and squeeze out the, the, the people that had been there all those years and buy courtside seats and be on their phones doing deals and all that stuff. Like what we have now, it, it's right. Um, it's just permanently changed. That was, that was the heart of Oracle and the fans and, uh, and the team and the gritty personality, like all that is gone. And that's what I will remember as the heart of what the Warriors were. Uh, Rick, before, uh, before I cut you off before, and before we jump to uh, the Bulls and the Suns, you started to say something about, I believe, Sean Elliott's shot. Are you talking about the 99 99- uh, Spurs yeah. and their run to their first championship. Yeah, just being being there and his like hitting the shot uh, with his with his heels over the out of bounds line that that turned that series and then knowing that you know he was dealing with uh, a kidney issue that he would ultimately need to have his kidney replaced uh, or or to get a new kidney from his his brother. Uh, that that was one of those moments that you know being there and again at a time where I was courtside um, and seeing that that and and obviously I was there when when Jordan hit the last shot in Utah and uh, over Brian Russell uh, and and all of the the drama around that I mean there 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 are a lot of amazing and fantastic moments in in NBA playoff history that I was fortunate enough to be uh to be a witness of firsthand. Um but it's those it's those little glimpses. It's actually I could go back to the to the lockout year when the Spurs beat the Knicks and and I didn't realize how lucky I was, but we were in New York and it was the first time I witnessed like Pop's restaurant acumen and his ability. Like they have the, the chef's table, right? Where you, you get a table in the actual kitchen and the chef just brings things to you for you to, to, uh, to, to taste or to dine on. And I was lucky enough that Pop during that series uh, invited the had had set that up for the, the the Spurs team in a uh, in a kitchen in a restaurant in New York, and I got invited to be part of that and sit at the table and uh, to experience that whole thing. Obviously, just you know, no notebook, no tape recorder, mm-hmm. no camera, and and honestly, in today's world, like if uh, one of my editors or producers knew that I'd been in a situation like that and didn't record it, <laughs> didn't get content from it, I'd probably be fired. Gotta have but at content. that time, it content. was, yeah, exactly. You got to exploit every opportunity. And that was at a time where you were still allowed to build relationships and experience things like that. 
and allow them to be organic. Uh, because you, th- this is the thing that I think is missed sometimes, is that there's so much that is learned and there's so much trust that is gained in being there as an observer and as a person, as a participant in the experience, as opposed to somebody who's trying to exploit every last second and minute. And I get the drive and the need to produce content today and the competition, but I miss those days where you could, you could just, if you, if you were lucky enough to get inside the circle that you could just be there to observe and experience it and cultivate the relationships that come from it. And that they would, the, the trust that these would pay off down the line, that you would then get opportunities to tell, tell stories and do things that, uh, that somebody else didn't or couldn't do. Um, so though, but those, like those in between moments are also the things that I, that I cherish the moment, the most from my experience in, in, in covering the the NBA as I've had the opportunity to do so. What restaurant was it? I have no, I could not tell you. I, I wish I could tell you. <laughs> I, I, I have no, dude, what, you gotta what understand. Of, what type of understand. cuisine? Still, what type of cuisine? I was an Italian. It was an Italian, was Italian place. place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean, you, you, you listen um, from, from our time working together and knowing how much time and how important the relationships you had spent years building, how much they meant, but the amount of time and trust that went into them and the climate that we've all been in now the last, you know, four or five years where I don't think people understand what it takes to build those relationships, to get those trusts, to get behind those closed doors, to have those conversations I don't think people really understand and they just want the quick turn stuff over and over again. And yeah. uh, that's not what you've made your name on. You've, you've adapted to this new world clearly, but that, that's yeah. not, who, that's not how you rose through the industry. Well, and it's, you know, it's funny because I, in wanting to see my kids grow up, um, I sort of stepped away from being intensely involved in the NBA and I did uh a, I did a radio show uh in one form or, or another for about 7 years and I kept tabs on the NBA and I tried to you know maintain my relationships but unless you're really out there and you're seeing people in person and uh you know you're going out to dinner and and you're you're talking on a regular basis uh those those you you need to work at maintaining those relationships and I and I took a little bit of a hi- hiatus that I'm now in the process of rebuilding a lot of that. And what's interesting is to have that seven-year break and then come back to it and see how dramatic it has changed. And to your point, like it's really, really hard to to do anything where you're like, hey, look, I just need to go see these people. I need to go see this situation um, some of it's just the, the the dynamics of the financial picture for uh, for the for media outlets. In that, um, you know, I look I, every year for years upon years, I would go to the Pete Newell Big Man Camp, and I would be there for a week uh, on uh, Oahu, and I I might write one story for 
ESPN the magazine, one 500-word story uh, over that the course of that week. Uh, but I would the number of coaches and players that I would cultivate relationships with. It was such a rich situation. Nobody's sending you anywhere in this day and age uh, for a week on the road uh, to do a 500-word story, to do one 500-word story. And so the opportunity is I, – I, I get it. You know, the, the dynamics make it difficult to invest in, in something unless you can show the rate of return, the, the ROI, the return on investment. But, um, but I, it's, I still believe that doing that whenever you can is vital, and that's something that I got away from, and now I'm taking extra measures to get back to, to like any opportunity. I, you know, I, I do TV for FS1, so anytime I'm down there, I'm, I'm going to games or I'm trying to grab a lunch or a dinner with somebody in the league to try to, you know, recultivate um, those relationships in the best way I can on the terms that I did, I did before. But it's taking that seven years and going away and coming back. It's like wow, this this really this really is different. Um, but it's different. I'm not going to say it's good or bad. It's just different. Good stuff, my man. BJ, anything else from you? I got nothing. That's my guy. This is my guy. This is my guy, Buke. Man, he's he's. He's all over the place. He's a social media phenom, television. <laughs> this guy's everywhere. He's breaking stories. He's everywhere. Dude, you know? I'm like, I'm like, I'm like all of us. I'm just trying to figure out how this damn thing works, man. And and uh, and I, you know, at bottom 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 line, I I love the NBA. I love telling people's stories. I love getting to know the people behind the the uniform or the clipboard or the you know the big moment that everybody sees because i still think it comes down to we're we're all human beings and if you can show how human the person is that did that extraordinary thing that you just that blew your mind then it only doubles your appreciation for what they actually accomplished Great closer right there. The one and only, our friend and yours, Rick Buecher. And we believe. We believe. And we believe. <laughs> Good to be with you guys. You too, buddy. Right. Okay, Stay be safe. Well. Be well. All right, guys. All right. Later. So enlightening stuff, PJ, as always, from uh, our old friend Rick Buecher. Definitely somebody I miss uh, working with but always love catching up with. And, you know, one thing uh, of the many insightful things he said uh, one that's really interesting to me is the thought of bringing all the playoff teams and participants to one place where they're safe, they're quarantined, and they're playing through the playoffs all in one city uh, at the same time. What, what's running through your head as he's saying that? Are you envisioning something like that could work? Well, I, I'm envisioning that as an agent and all of the problems Problems that would present for travel <laughs> and all of the other things. I think, I think in theory, it sounds good. It sounds like a potential solution. Uh, but getting 
the players and the families and all of the things we, you know, there's always a human dynamic here that, that I I've maintained as an ex player, as an executive now, as an agent that, you know what, it's, you're asking these players to, um, yes, I, I know playing is very valuable. It's something they really cherish and they really want to do and they hold in the highest regard. But at the same time, you know, sometimes, as they say, life gets in the way. And asking these players to be in a contained space for time, for a, a, a significant amount of time, uh, I think would be very difficult to do just from the, the human perspective. Now, I'm not saying it's not possible. But I would imagine in dealing with that and all of the issues that comes with dealing with with human beings, that would be very difficult to do, especially in Vegas. Especially in Vegas. <laughs> I mean, if you're in Vegas for more than two days, I mean, <laughs> you're probably going to have problems. Remind me to tell you the story of the uh, <laughs> the year I went there for summer league for a week. Yeah, summer league is always tough. You know, on the next uh... episode of BJ and Eric going to Vegas. Um, good stuff today, my friend. Uh, hopefully, there is a summer league for us. Hopefully, there is yes. an NBA postseason for us to uh, to look at and celebrate down the road. Until then, we'll continue to have conversations, uh, embracing and celebrating playoffs and postseasons past. But uh, I'm glad we're still. Uh, moving the show forward week to week during these uncertain times and uh, definitely a refreshing conversation today for sure. So as always, special thanks to you, my man, and uh, the rest of the Pure Hoops media team, producer Mike Lieber, Bruce Bernstein, editor Benjamin Wolfen. Be sure to check out the Mike Wise show with Mike Wise dropping on Monday. Full court press with Fanta and Adams coming back at you next week. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with the one and only Monica McNutt. And, of course, the Purus Podcast with BJ Armstrong, myself, and uh, our new roster of guests. So we'll see who comes comes in next week for us. But uh, without a doubt, be looking to uh, add some unique voices to the show and continue to talk about the game, the league, and getting through this tough time together. Have a great weekend, everybody. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay pure. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California, subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.